Kia ora e te iwi and welcome to another episode of Playmakers. Joining me today is newly retired Kiwi Fern player Hani Hiremi Smiler, aka the Wahine Toa or Putaruru. No mai, hara mai. Hani, welcome. Kia ora Rev. Now, it's kind of funny, I've caught up with you a couple times uh, over this year and there was no talk of retirement. <laughs> and um, now you've announced your retirement officially after that last um, win against Vetu Samoa. So talk to us about the decision and, and how you basically came to it. Yeah, I suppose it did come as quite a surprise to many because I suppose the initial intention was to try and uh, play through to the 2021 World Cup next year. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, I'd been thinking on it for uh, some time and there was a few contributing factors I think that helped me make that final decision, which I'd actually made prior to, to going into camp. Um, when I got the phone call from Ricky to say that I was selected in the final 19, um, it really made me think, look, what am I doing here? And um, this year, I think alone, I picked up, you know, three or four little small niggly injuries, not big ones. I'd come off the surgery, managed to get my sort of conditioning back. And then those injuries kind of played a small part. And I was playing a lot of sort of uh, club stuff and just picking up little things. And I was... Could, I started to feel like my body was struggling with the with the contact side of the game, and uh, and as much as I trained for it, it, you know, I'd still come off, you know, really bruised and battered um, from just club games. I thought, you know, I didn't know how well I could cope at international level. So, um, yeah, for me, I thought the timing was perfect. I think mentally, I wanted to stay in. I was like, oh, I just grind it out, you know, keep grinding it out. But when I reflected back on you know, my, I suppose, years of the game, I thought, you know, you've done well, you know, and it, you're not doing, um, you know, you're not letting anybody down if you were to retire this year, honey. So um, I had a call it all with my family and, and my wife and sort of said, oh, look, this is how I'm feeling and that. And But I was really happy about the decision, you know, it was coming from a good place. Um, yeah, so I probably made the decision prior to going into camp uh, that week, but just kind of didn't want to really, I didn't want any focus to be on it because it was a really important test match for us being the only international throughout the year. And more importantly to me was the 11 debutants that were coming into a camp and, you know, that was their time. So it was really important that, you know, no one kind of knew, I suppose, um, going into that test match and that the focus was solely on that game. So no one knew at all, not even those 11 debutants. You went, you ran out and nobody knew. I did um, mention to my coach, um, probably just after captain's run, I mentioned it to him and, it, and explained to him my reasonings around not um, not saying anything. And I, I roomed with uh, Autumn uh, autumn Rain Stevens Daly that, mm -hmm. that week and it was sort of just a little moment throughout the week. I mentioned, she said something about, oh, next year, you know, when we do this, this and this. And I sort of thought, oh, Autumn, <laughs> actually, um, hey, you know, I'm going to let you know this, but please, you know, don't get caught up on it and just focus on your game. Mm. And she was like really shocked by it. And I said, please don't say anything. So, um, yeah, I did let her know. And I had planned to tell everyone on Sunday morning, you know, when we we're sort of doing the review, mm -hmm. um, but it sort of ended up coming out in the changing rooms and, um I was really overwhelmed actually by the reaction of, of the girls and yeah. there was a lot of tears and I thought, oh, you know, that, that, and that made it quite emotional for me as well. But um, for me, I think it's been such a good decision because throughout the week, because I knew and seeing the girls that were coming through and the, the management team, I mean, our manager, Media is amazing, our new coach, Ricky, and his, and his coaching crew and all our medical stuff, I was like, you know, the team's in such a really good place and although it holds this 
massive part of of my life and in my heart yeah. it's time to you know hand it over and let it go and mm. and, the, and the leadership you know crystal rota and all the leaders within the team now you know there it's yeah i mean i thought it's a really good time to step away now and um and let it continue to evolve 18 years, I don't think anyone would be thinking you let them down with that decision. Shock? Yes. Disappointment? No. It's opened up the space here, and this is Stevens. Stevens running away from the defence or her support. But that was beautiful from Autumn Stevens. And the youngster scores on debut for the Kiwi Ferns. It's funny you actually bring up um, Autumn Rain because throughout that match against Fetu Samoa, it did feel like if there was a shot of one of you, the other was in it. <laughs> and perhaps now that you say she, she did know and the rest of the team didn't, maybe it was that she was trying to, you know, stay close, making her debut and, and playing next to the legend herself. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was um Really cool that I actually got to play my last test match with Autumn because I knew her as a baby. You know, I played with her mum and her and her auntie like for a big chunk of my career back in the Bay of Plenty and Rotorua, and we grew up playing sort of Bay of Plenty and and rugby and sevens and all of that our career together. So then to run out alongside um, you know my really good friend's daughter mm. who had watched you know grow and evolve over her own lifespan, you know, to play alongside her and and my only advice to her was don't worry about passing it to me, you just back yourself first, you know, and, and she did exactly that, and yeah. she's such a great kid, and, and there were so many of those young kids that came through that day, and you can see, it's almost like this new generation that's coming through, they come through with their own sort of confidence and creativity that they just want to put their own stamp on on the juicy, you know, and so to hand that juicy over and be like, your turn now, was, you know, it was a huge um, credit to, and for me, I was like, I'm handing it over in admiration for what the I know that these young kids can do in the juicy now. Is that Auntie Raiha, per chance? Yes, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> you mentioned the Rugby World Cup and, you know, next year uh, it's happening. And I think um, for me, that was probably the only one thing I thought, oh, wow, the Rugby World Cup's just around the corner and you won't be in it. So was that something that you had to really consider about not being a part of this time around? Yeah, it definitely was a big part of it. And see, you know, when you go to a, a, a World Cup, it's four-year preparation for me, you know. So, And I know every time I've gone to, you know, that would have been my fifth Rugby League World Cup is when I want to be at my utmost best, you know. And so in the back of my mind, I suppose I had that... Um, a little bit of fear or worry that am I actually going to be at my best if I compare it to my 2003 World Cup or 2008 or 2017 World Cup, am I going to be better than that? And I probably could honestly say to myself, no, I don't think you are. You're not going to play the game the way you have in the past because, you know, obviously age catches up with you and I wasn't as fast and as, as strong as what I wanted to be. And so that did help make my decision. If I can't be at my absolute best, then I don't want to be there and do any kind of injustice to the jersey and the, and the kiwi ferns. So um, it, was, it was a hard reality to come to, but I think the timing was good because I would have hated to have gone there and not played at my best and then retired on those terms. Yeah. You know, so uh, yeah, that, that did play a bit of a part of my retirement, yeah. Some athletes, can't do that or can't see that so for you to be you know 18 years deep and go hey you know what I'm not going to be able to put my best foot forward that's a huge deal 
What has the feedback been like? Um, because I know in social media, there was a lot of, you know, tributes to you from New Zealand and around the world. So how's that phone bill? <laughs> yeah, um, it's been really overwhelming, to be honest. I mean, I just thought um, I'd get off the field on Saturday and say bye to my team, pack my bags and go home. And <laughs> that's the end of it all. But um, yeah, the, the support that's come through has just been um, a, a, in somewhat of a shock, really. And, um, and very, very humbling, I think. Um, because it's probably a recognition of where the female game has gone to now mm. more than anything and I suppose I put it back to that I'm grateful to have been involved for so long but see it and it's see the game you know like I've been where lots of players before me have retired and who I see as absolute legends of the game and probably there wasn't that much deal made about it back mm. then. So I just expected that same response. But so to get the response that I have has been like, well, you know, and it's, it's exciting for me because now I know that our game is being seen around the world, um, you know, and it's, 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 been, it's been valued, you know, in New Zealand and around the world. I mean, I got a text from um, a good friend, Ken Laban, today to say that there was 20,000 uh, more viewers watching our last test match then another game that was on uh, that same day another code <laughs> um yeah 20,000 more amazing. viewers and I thought that's awesome you know so for me it's just you know I, I get blown away from that and again the, the excitement mm. of retiring and seeing being able to even use my platform I suppose in retirement to help promote the game you know I'm still going to keep pushing the game and pushing the Kiwi Ferns um, and and what they they're setting out to do and that's mm. um, in the immediate future is to win the next World Cup. Yeah. yeah I mean it even happened here when we're walking into studio everyone that's seen you has been congratulating you on this career since you walked into the studio so it's been going on for a couple of weeks now but you mentioned that you got uh, a message from a certain um, newly retired silver fern so tell us a bit about that. Yeah I mean um, I was driving home on Sunday and I got a text uh, from Laura Langman who you know I totally idolise <laughs> I mean she's the goat to me yeah. um, but it, and I've had a number of athletes actually even from some of the the guys that have come through and said oh you know congratulations seeing just Blairy just now and mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, that's really humbling too because I think when you are an athlete, you, you get caught up in your world and especially a female athlete, you think that, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting for this cause to be to be seen and to be recognised and get to get your game valued. But then when you get uh, recognition from some of the guys mm. and, you know, then you know, yeah, this is actually, this is working you know people are seeing us as athletes and not that you know I know back in the day when we first started playing people just kind of made joke of us and like oh yeah here's the entertainment here's here's the curtain raiser game yeah. but now they actually respect us as as athletes and they can see that the level that we're competing at you know is is right up there so it's really nice to have that respect for the game and, and, the, and the women that are playing the game at the moment yeah. 2002 18 years ago were you were you aware of that struggle of that fight to be you know recognized as you know women's rugby league is a viable sport and we're really good at this were you thinking about that back then probably not you know I think I was just a new rookie to the game and thinking wow I'm going to represent New Zealand this is a big deal and um, 
you know, I, I come up through an era where there wasn't any female sports on TV anyway, so I didn't expect that recognition um, back then. And as long as I got recognised, you know, in my local South Waikato newspaper, that was a big <laughs> deal to me, you know. But obviously the way um, media's gone now in social media and all of that, you know, it's, it's a real timely movement I think to see where it's going and especially as it's moved into the professional era because I felt those struggles back then you know like hey you're being picked for the New Zealand team and this is how much it's going to cost you I was thinking oh okay mm. you know I thought that was a bit strange but who cares I was going to represent New Zealand I just went along and done it but now it's completely you know flipped on its head it's like here you're going to represent New Zealand um, and this is how much we value you in terms of your recognition or you're a professional athlete now and um um, yeah, so it's it's going through those almost those eras of the game, and where it's, it's where it's evolved to has mm. been huge, huge, yeah, and really, I suppose, just so grateful for the ones that really paved that way even before me. Yeah. You know, they they sacrificed so much um, those women um, back then. So mm. yeah. Well, it's only taken 25 years, honey. <laughs> <laughs> this year, 25 years, and it's it's become even you know. A bigger occasion because of you know your announcement as well and I don't think you know anyone will be forgetting that in a hurry. <laughs> you mentioned that there were no other you know real female sporting you know codes on TV and things like that so who did you idolize who did you look up to and I don't know whose posters were hanging on your wall um, when you were a young aspiring rugby league player? Yeah I mean I had uh, the Reuben Wickies, the, the Stacey Jones, Wally Lewis, I absolutely love Wally <laughs> Lewis, go Queensland. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I mean, I idolised all males growing up, and it wasn't actually till I think it was 16 years old when I went along to my first uh, women's rugby league nationals, and they picked this this New Zealand team there, and I was like, oh, I didn't know they that they did that, and I didn't know any of the players, and then sort of 17, 18, and then I started to see these players play, and the likes of uh, Trisha Hina were playing, and Louisa Vicky, and I was like, man, these these women can play, you know, and then I started to idolise them, but. You know, even though they weren't on TVs, once I sort of got into that environment, you just aspired to be like them because you saw the way they played, the way they carried themselves both on and off the field. Um, you know, then I knew I had role models and I was like, man, this is the thing. This is, there's actually this team over here in the background and they're absolutely sacrificing. I suppose I'm really grateful to come through that era because they spoke about, you know, my, my debut, I was, you know, 2002. They spoke about the woman that had gone before. Mm. Um, back then, we were sort of a separate organisation, New Zealand Women's Rugby League, and we saw the committee, and they were all women, and they were selling raffle tickets and all of that stuff, you know. So we got to see that, and we obviously got to be a part of it. I mean, I was running raffles um, back then too to help fund my, myself <laughs> to be part of yep. the team. So we we carried that that struggle or that journey together. And I don't I don't really see it as a struggle. I, you know, and. It was a sacrifice, but also it was a choice. We chose, you know, we were yeah. chosen to be there, so we cho chose to to do what we needed to do to to get on that plane to go and represent and, and play in World Cups and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, and not forgetting, despite all of that, you know, the women came away with three World Cups, the very first ever World Cup in year 2000. So, not only was there a struggle, but you, the team were getting results as well. Exactly, and it was the results that made you want to go back, but also it was the culture and mm. the friendships. Like, you only had to be in there for one year to know I wanted to be back in there again, you know. So, And then year after year, it just felt like it just got better and better. And then 
you know, in, in, in any sort of team system, that becomes your family and that becomes your, your why and your no. So then you don't want to miss out. So everyone always says, how did you stay in for so long? It was like fear of missing out, you know, was a big part <laughs> because that was my family. That was my sporting family. And so I just wanted it all the time and I love to compete. But also, you know, I played in my first World Cup in 2003. The very next year I had my son, and then the very next year I was back in again, and he's a, wow. he's a baby on the sideline, you know. And he was embraced in that culture because in female sports we embraced, you know, our whole being, you know, that I think we've done it really well in terms of the female space, you know, that, that holistic approach mm. because we were mums mm. and um, we embraced the culture and specifically in rugby and rugby league, the, the Māori and the Pacific Island culture came through quite strongly. So we embraced that right back in the day. We've been doing that for a long time, whereas maybe in the, the men's system, it became professional quite quickly. So there was maybe those moments where it wasn't maybe embraced as much as what it is in the female mm. space. Um, so I, I'm grateful for that because to have a baby, you know, to come back as a mum and then manage all of that, you know, the kids and, and motherhood and all of that, to be um, welcome back into the team and, you know, bring along your family and all of that stuff was a huge part of why you could continue to play yeah. in the team. Yeah, That says a lot about culture, doesn't it? I remember when I had my children, I was... Okay, I'll come back to my office job, <laughs> let alone onto a rugby league field. Full contact, you know, when you when you think about a woman's body and the healing process after having a baby and things like that. It's no joke. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I think I came back in way better condition after <laughs> having my son. Yeah. Um, you know, than what I was prior to having him. Mm. I was sort of a teenager and you know had you know very minimal. Um, I suppose education around nutrition and what was good mm. for me back then, but you know, after having having him and then coming back, I mean, I've probably been in the in my best shape probably 30 plus onwards, yep. especially as the games evolved and we get all that extra resources now in terms of your nutrition, your strength and conditioning, and and that that mental side of the mm. game. You know, I didn't start to get that till sort of 30 onwards, yep. and then it's it's helped, I suppose, in some sense, helped me you know, really evolve my own game and, and what I needed to do in terms to stay in and, and, and keep up with those 20-year-olds coming through. <laughs> or you don't have to compete with them anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Talking about your game and your forming and coming, you know, like to fruition, plus 30, when did the fend kick in? Because there have been a lot of women over the years who have um, suffered your hand in their face on the wing. So... <laughs> Where did that come from and how did you really make that, you know, a strength in your game? Yeah, um, I don't know, actually. I think it's an instinctive thing. I know I was sort of um, doing it um, when I was playing sort of schoolboys, uh, you know, right from, from a young age. I just, it was just a way in which I could get away from people to, to, to run away. And I mean, you know, in all honesty, I had a pretty rough upbringing uh, and I was... Uh, I mean, I suppose growing up in Putaruru, you know, everyone back there would know, you know, I was, I was in the mix of, you know, that sort of rough bunch and got involved in a lot of it. So, you know, and that was sort of, you know, a few a few fights here at school and things like that. So I don't know if that played a part in it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it just became a bit of a trademark. But I don't think I ever... Um, 
a lot of my early years was just instinctive, but when I realised how effective it was, mm. then I actually started to work on it. And mm. so, you know, my in my trainings, I'd actually practice it, practice it, just pushing, you know, pushing things off and da da da, and trying to get the angles right, and whether I was getting them in the face or on the shoulder or whatever, and just really started to critique it and work with my coaches, like, you know, if I if I get them on this angle, you know, and then it just it just evolved. So it was something that I practiced, and that, and that's the key to to evolving your game is when you're good at something, you actually have to continue to to work on that. Mm. Um, and so everyone just thinks oh, it was the trademark thing, but actually I did, I did a lot of work on it. Um, when I realised actually it's one of my strengths. <laughs> yeah. This is working. We'll yeah. keep doing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, becoming a trailblazer in rugby league, I don't know if it was an intention for you to become, you know, one of the greatest that have ever done it for women, and probably for men as well, to be to be honest. Was that ever an intention for you? Or where, where did you, you know, see this career going? It definitely wasn't ever an intention for me. I think um, I just saw my career as wanting to do the best for my team and play at the best of my ability. So uh, for me, um, you know, I'd be lying if I say every game I went out, I went out to win. You know, that was always uh, my top priority is I'm going to do whatever it takes to help my team win this game. Mm -hmm. So that was always my focus, whether it was winning test matches or winning World Cups, whatever that, that was. So in terms of trailblazing, no, I mean, I just happened to play in a position where, you know, I would always get a lot of credit for tries that came off, not necessarily the work that was done before me, you know, the forwards and all them carrying the ball and, and the passes that would come out wide. I just had to catch and run over the line a lot of the time. Mm. But trailblazing was never, you know, something that I set out to do. I think in terms of influencing the game in my community, then absolutely I was intentional about that um, because I was grateful enough to play a big chunk of my career up here in, in Auckland because there wasn't a lot happening down in the Waikato and Bay of Plenty in terms of women's rugby league. Um, so probably my last five or six years, I've intentionally pro wanting to promote the game back in yeah. regions where rugby league's not uh, a big, um, there's, there's not a lot of rugby league down in my communities. Mm. So I've gone about intentionally doing that. So whether that... Um, signs me up as a trailblazer, I'm not sure, but for me, you know, it's paid off because to see so many more girls being selected in black jerseys, or, or not just black jerseys, representing upper central zone, you know, even looking at the mid-central Manawatu area, Wellington, Canterbury, they've all got representative teams now that are coming along to, to uh, nationals, and then those players are being picked for the Kiwi Ferns, that gives us, you know, a lot more variety of players to pick from from the yeah. Kiwi Ferns. And then even the introduction of being able to pick our Kiwi girls that are based in Australia, you mm. know, because we want the best out there. We want the best in the black jersey. So uh, for me, um, trailblazing in terms of, uh, I suppose, expanding the game outside of Auckland and, and around um, communities that aren't de haven't really uh, taken on the game in mm. terms of the women's space, then yeah, that's been a big, um, I suppose, priority for me. Yeah. And there you go. And that's what sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> um, you mentioned Australia and you've played in Australia. Yeah. So the NRLW competition came into effect in 2017 and, you know, Women's Rugby League, it just went from here to here real quick um, to have that pathway. Um, you played for the Dragons um, and not the Warriors off the bat. So 
Um, talk about that and why you decided that Australia would be a good fit for you. Yeah, I mean, I when the NRLW was announced, I actually I'd planned to retire after that 2017 World Cup, oh. and then they announced this NRLW thing. I was like, oh, I'm definitely yeah. having a piece of that. <laughs> so I stayed on, and um, and initially I was very keen to play for the Warriors because that's been my club, you know, from from when they first started. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a few conversations that went on around which team I was going to play for. The Dragons stood out to me because the coach there, he talked to me about developing a lot of the players. And at that time, you know, the Jillaroos were on the rise and they'd won the World Cup. And I thought, you know, what are they doing differently that we're mm. not doing back here? So I thought if this is a, a foot in the door to see what they're doing in the, in the, um, in the NRL space, then maybe I actually need to go over there and, and check that out. So that was one reason why I wanted to see what they're doing differently over there. And also around the development of the of the game down in down in Wollongong, down in that St George mm. area was really important to me. I'm I'm always up for for um, I suppose representing the underdog. I, I love taking the underdog status in that. <laughs> um, but also he had quite a few Kiwi players that were playing as well and who I knew and we were really keen to get in amongst them. Um, so it was a it was a big challenge. Um, it was probably my first time actually getting to know um, on a personal level, some of the Jillaroos mm. players. I'd played against them for years, but never really had that time and space to get to know them as people. So I really respected that and, and the um, the athletes that they were and mm. how they carried themselves, I suppose. So I, I probably had a newfound respect for those players. Um, but yeah, I had every intention of coming back and obviously coming back and, and representing the Warriors. So, you know, I, I did that year with the with the Dragons. Also, there was a connection with the, the St. George Dragons and the Patarudu Dragons, yeah. which worked quite nicely <laughs> for me too. Um, Cute. Yeah, exactly. But it was even, they really looked after me. I was able to still stay with family there. That was important to me as long as I was still with family. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed my season with the Dragons and, and, and playing there and then... Um, you know, obviously coming back to the Warriors the following year was, was you know, definitely important for me. Um, but yeah, just unfortunate to be able to actually put the jersey on. Yeah, last and we're going to get into that. Yeah. But while we'll, we'll just stay in Australia for a little bit. Um, everybody says state of origin is the pinnacle of rugby league. And of mm. course, the women's state of origin um, happened. Actually, it just went down last week. Um, was there ever anything in your mind about, oh, state of origin, that's something that you could have been a part of? Uh, not necessarily, because for me, I think it's more, you know, a, a belonging thing. Mm. A, a, you know, you play for where you're from. So I ne never, although I support Queensland, I'm not, I'm not an Australian and I'm not from Queensland. So there wasn't ever that, you know, attachment to it. But I love supporting it and I love seeing, you know, a lot of our... Uh, Kiwi whānau playing in that because a lot of them have been, have you know, growing up there, so yeah. they have that attachment to Queensland and New South Wales. Um, but for me, it was never really something that I wanted to necessarily take the field and, and be a part of as a player. But what I would love to see is that implemented back here mm. in New Zealand. You know, whether it's a north versus south. Uh, match or, or something like that because I think it would you know it really go off exactly like how it does in the women's space over there. Yeah exactly especially with like you mentioned the nationals competition with all these players springing up around the place and probably make for more competition for the Kiwi Ferns. Yeah yeah I agree with you I think I think that we could take that model and and play it here mm. and you know it'll it's only going to help grow our game so yeah um, 
but yeah, I want all of our players to stay here playing because if they <laughs> go and play for Queensland, they can't come play for the Kiwi fans. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true, very important. Um, something interesting that you mentioned to me earlier was the fact that the league contract was the last contract that you picked up in your professional career, that mm. Black Ferns was actually the first contract that you ever picked up. Talk about that. That, that seems strange to me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of like looking at, you know, the when people say, oh, an 18-year career, and I'm mm. thinking, oh, actually, it, it has been an 18-year career, but in fact, I've only really been deemed a professional athlete in terms of being on contracts, um, you know, well after my 30s, and I think, I think I was 32 when I first signed a Rugby Sevens contract, mm. and um, initially that was a part-time one, and then we went to full-time, and then I signed with the, the Black Ferns 15s, and then it was actually the NRLW that sort of introduced the professional side of the game, where we actually signed contracts, so, you know, I'm probably only just at the start of it, um, in terms of the professionalism of the game, although for me, I don't, I don't, um, I suppose, say that the game's only been professional just because contracts have been yeah. signed. I know in 2002 we were professional as players back then, regardless of we were signing contracts or not. It's, mm. it's how you play the game and how you carry yourself is what I deem as a professional athlete. Um, and if you're representing your country, you're a professional athlete, you're an elite athlete. It doesn't matter how much uh, you're signing a contract for, whether you're signing a contract or not, because... Um, yeah, it's it's all about representing your country and doing that to the best of your ability. But yeah, those the, the contract side of it is really starting to come in, and and I think it's really important that we're educating the you know the young girls that are coming through the system because they are going to start being chased and scouted and all of that, and ensuring that they make the de best decisions for themselves. I mean, you see it in the in the men's game, you know, these young. 16, 17 year olds being recruited and scouted at such a young age and they sort of just sign whatever's in front of them at first and That's then right. a couple of years down the track they're like oh you know this hasn't worked out and they probably haven't had the education around you know what that actually means um, so that's what we've probably got to start looking at for, for these young girls coming through is ensuring that when they're signing these contracts that it's looking at their whole lifestyle, what are they going to do career-wise, not just on the field but off the field, mm. and embracing that whole holistic approach I'm you know, really, I suppose, passionate about. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's something that has been discussed but in the men's game in particular, but as you say, as those contracts start picking up, you need to be educated. And a lot of those um, young players will go in with their parents but see, the parents don't know much about those contracts either, so the education, definitely important. Yeah. Going back to the Warriors um, thing, you've, over the last you know, one to two years, you've been through a lot, both on and off the field. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, you never got to put on that Warriors jersey. And a big part of that was becoming a carer for your mum yes. um, when she fell ill, um, which is, I'm guessing, um, a decision that was a no-brainer for you. Mm -hmm. But just talk to that. Yeah, it was absolutely a no-brainer. I mean, mum's illness um, came on really suddenly and um, and it just happened to fall uh, right during the time of the NRLW was just kicking off. And, I mean, I'm so grateful to the Warriors and, and the support that they gave me throughout that time and, and the understanding that, you know, um, I was very, I suppose, intentional in saying to them, there's no way. I'm leaving my mum because we knew that her time that we were going to have with her was only small. Um, I suppose I ensured that I stayed fit throughout 
that whole time I was caring for mum um, so that if the opportunity came and, and we had a small window and mum got better or, you know, or, or whatever might have happened that I could go out and play and I'd be ready to take the field. Mm. So I wanted to ensure that that was ready but yeah, it, I mean I don't know if I'll live with the regret of it um, in terms of not being able to play for the Warriors. Um, more importantly is I didn't want to live with the regret was if I did go off and play for the Warriors and I didn't get that time with mum, which yeah. ended up being really, really short time. I mean, eight weeks was a very short time. That would have been harder to deal with versus not being able to get a game for the Warriors. Mm. So um, yeah, at the time it seemed like there was a lot going on, um, but uh, you know, wholeheartedly I made the decision to care for mum and I, would, I, would, I wouldn't change that for the world really. Mm. So. Um, but you know, right throughout that time, Mum was sick. You know, she was still pushing me. You know, go train, go play, and that. And then Mum passed pretty much the last week of the NRLW, and then we went straight into the World Cup nines. And Mum knew that I had a big calendar on for representative league, and you know, right throughout her sickness, she's like, you know, Bub, you have to go back and play. You have to go back and play. I was like, you know, don't worry about it, Mum. You just, just focus on you and and what you're going through. Um, so then literally a week after bearing mum and getting the call that, you know, you're in the Kiwi Ferns and the World Cup nines and stuff like that, you know, again, that was probably a decision that I made on behalf of mum because mm. she had said, you've got to go back and play. Put your hands together for the 2019 Downer Rugby League World Cup nines champions. New Zealand are inaugural women's rugby league world cup nines champions they're about to lift the trophy they get bragging rights there um, but it was a good decision you know obviously we we, we we came away with the win for that world cup so that was huge um, that was a huge moment for my career i think um, dealing with grief has probably been um, oh, just just a world it's changed my world in mm. terms of um, death. Death just teaches you so much, and it's probably something as sports people we don't talk about. And it was interesting in the fact that when I, you know, a week later I did go back into camp with the girls, and that, and then actually speaking with the girls and how many girls had lost, you know, wow. really close people to them, mm. and yet we didn't talk about it openly. Mm. And so it actually gave me the the space, I suppose, to actually talk about it with the girls and, and it in a sense helped me to heal knowing like they just went through this a year ago or two years ago or three years ago and these are players that were younger than me you know and I was like far out you know it just makes you feel like you're, you're not alone uh, when you go through you know the loss of someone and then trying to get yourself back in that headspace to to train and play and, and represent your country it mm. can be yeah a bit of a whirlwind but I think it's definitely helped you know it helps us issue through through that grieving process. Yeah, almost therapeutic. Yeah, in a exactly. Sense. Yeah, yeah. And within that that short time that you had with your mum and caring for her, you slipped in a wedding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to make sure mum was there. I'm married, and there is I don't know how you pulled that all together. I'm guessing you would have had you know all the whānau support in the world to make sure that that happened for you guys. Yeah, I mean I can't take any credit for that. To be <laughs> honest, my my wife did absolutely everything. I mean she had two weeks to organise it all, and things were changing on the daily. And she's like, oh, we can't do this. We can't. And I was like, look, just give me the dress, and I'm just showing up on the day. You figure it all out because at the time I was staying in the hospital, mm. you know, with mum. 
and that and as mum sort of deteriorated and things we had to keep changing things around her to the point where the nurses the whole ward you know really got in and supported us so we ended up having the wedding in the chapel in the hospital and the ward helped prepare us mum for it and at the same time my nan was in the hospital as well so we're wheeling two people down and I mean honestly we had sort of planned to have that wedding and then do the big one later on but mm. that day was so perfect and our wedding day kind of gets lost in amongst um, everything that was going on at that time. But when we watch it back, we're just like, actually, that was perfect. You know, there was obviously a lot of people that we couldn't have there at the time, but um, it, it was what it, it is, what it was, um, what it is. And you know, when I look back at it, I was thinking. I was absolutely happy. It was a perfect wedding day for me, and so was my wife. And that's all that mattered, yeah. you know. It was still a celebration of our life and and our life together. And and it was really important for our families to be there, and especially Mum, because I think Mum needed to know that, you know, that Rochelle's got my back. You know, once yeah. once she passes, because Mum knew that I would probably struggle, but um, and and also for my family too. I knew they they were quite worried and how I was going to cope after Mum and things. But to see to see that wedding and, and our, you know, and now being married in the life, which I actually never thought I would be married. I used to say, <laughs> ah, that's not my life, but yeah. um, oh, I'm loving it. You know, yeah. she's been a huge backbone to me and our, and our three boys, yeah. In saying that, what have you taken away? I mean, you know, the on-field stuff aside, what did this teach you? Because it must be one thing to go through a grieving process like that, but it's another to go through it as a mother yourself. So how did that you know, maybe affect things for you as a mother? Yeah, I think um, I, think I during the time, my sole focus was on mum mm. and caring for her. And when we took her home, you know, into palliative care, and then I became the full-time care, and the nurses showed up and said, look, you've got to give this medicine, this medicine, and I had to deal with all these injections mm. and things like that. I was like, really like, oh my gosh, like this is really is all falling on my shoulder. So I didn't probably have the space to see how it was affecting my wider family. Mm. My mum's one of nine and her, she was sort of um, one of the eldest of her, her brothers and sisters. But as I sort of sat back next to mum's bed and see the family come together, I realised the impact that mum has on our wider family, um, you know, the impact that it was having on my brothers, on my dad, and especially mum's um, grandchildren, my son and, and all the grandchildren. And I just thought, you know, I've actually really got to step up here and ensure that, um, that everyone gets their time with mum and that we all process through this, this grieving together, you know, and that we speak about it. Because I think that was the fear is that when mum passed that we weren't talking about it because it was so, um, like, raw mm. to talk about. And so we, yeah, we probably just created that space where we could talk about it as a family and that's helped us get mm -hmm. through it. And, you know, our family's so tight and if anything, you know, they say when people pass, it almost becomes a reunion mm -hmm. of families and that's what I felt. You know, our family's really pulled together. My cousins and my aunties and uncles and now my now my mums and my new brothers and sisters and it's, it's yeah, for me, it's, it means the world, you know, and they've supported me through my supporting career. And, and even right through to my, my retirement when they did the haka in the grandstand. That was amazing. Yeah, that was Absolutely. huge. You know, I know that 
mum and, and our other family that's passed, our grandparents just look down and think, you know, these things happen for a reason and so, yeah. Yeah, sorry, it's emotional. I started too. As soon as I saw your eyes welling up, I was like, oh no! <laughs> but it's one, you know, you touched on something there and I know as as Māori and tangihanga, it's so tapu and, and it is a whānau affair, you know, and you do have that, that wraparound afi that sometimes in the moment you forget that they're there, but then you're like, holy man, like this, this just affects all of us, the lovers, huge. Yeah, mm. absolutely, and, and that's what it comes down to, you know, when when someone is sick, or especially when someone is is dying like that, the amount of, you know, people that come around and support you, mm. you know, during that time was just huge, and, and from a sporting side of things, like, we were getting flowers and cards, I mean, the Jillaroos sent me a, a basket wow. of flowers and wishing mum all the best while mum was sick, and, you know, just teams, you know, people in the whole sporting arena were sending just their well wishes, and mm. and that was just like, wow, you know, it was just so heartfelt, and I just felt like I owed all these people just a massive thank you, you know, mm. thank you because your, your support and your love um, really meant a lot to our whānau while we were going through such, you know, that hard time. Nice. Wicked. Yeah. I'm so happy that you got, you got to, I mean, it's probably, you know, in the worst way possible, but beautiful at the same time in a, in a weird way. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's bizarre. Yeah. When you look back, what is your proudest moment in your career? I'll try and try and lift up the way to a little bit now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I've probably had this question quite a bit in the last mm. week and a half and I've spoken quite a bit about my debut and I was thinking, oh, was it my debut? Was it just the excitement? But I think it was my debut because I know at my debut um, what I always think back to, I think I talked on the other show about, you know, me, the kickoff coming and me dropping <laughs> the ball and things like that. But I really thought about it deeply and I thought, what was it about that debut? And it was running out onto the field and standing and doing the anthem and um, it was having uh, mum, dad and my grandfather on the sideline mm. um, there. And I think it was that moment, it's those little small moments to look up and them seeing me standing with the New Zealand, with all these New Zealand players and I'm one of them and I'm wearing this black and white jersey and it's those moments that have been so huge to me. I mean, I have had a, a number of successes throughout throughout my career and, and winning, you know, test matches and World Cups and, and a, different awards and things like that. But those moments don't really compare to moments when I've been able to look up and see my family in the stadium and see how proud they are or see, see receiving texts from my family at home who have watched it on TV mm. and seen how proud they are. It's those moments, you know. So uh, for me, again, it, I mean, I, my my biggest thing is... is Fano, it always has been, and to see, you know, my young nieces and nephews be so proud to see the auntie on TV, you know, that to me is what yeah. really helps sink in. Like, you know, I am doing good here. I am influencing um, not just, you know, the the game, the community, um, New Zealand, but more so importantly, my family um, in a positive way. And saying, yeah. look, if I can do this, you guys can too. You know. Yeah, that, that's so important to me, yeah. So where to now? What, where, where do we see Honey Hiremi Smiler in the future, if at all? Um, yeah, just, I've had actually quite a few opportunities oh, come bet. up. <laughs> um, which I've sort of 
push back respectfully uh, because I really do just want to have a have a good breakaway and spend some family time. I mean, just just some of the small things, you know, going back to I was able to go to my nephew's first birthday in the weekend and that, that was cool because I've missed so many things in terms of, um, you know, even, you know, our boys, I can go and support them in their sports or whatever it is they're doing. Um, just spending time at home with my wife and it's quite nice not having, you know, this training to go to and have to get up at this time. So um, just relax for the first few months, I suppose. And I know I'll get sick of that. I've got a challenge going on with John Cohen that I won't put on 10 kgs in the first three months. So I'm hoping to <laughs> win that Christmas. as well. <laughs> But, um, you know, obviously I get to stay involved um, with, with the sporting um, scene in terms of Sky Sport and so grateful to them and the opportunity that I get with them and also my Halberg uh, role. Like, I absolutely love that job. It's my... Uh, I mean, I get to work alongside these kids um, with physical visual impairment and help connect them with sport. And, and it takes me back to those moments again when I can work with a family and, and you know, who think that because the young person may be in a wheelchair or visually impaired and um, they think, oh, you know, sports is sports or active play or recreation, whatever it might be, it's just not going to be for them because mm. of these these impairments that they may have. And then we get to introduce them to a sport or help them with some funding to engage them in lessons, whatever that might be, or uh, attend a school camp for the first time and then they get, they get that bug, you know, you, you get a bug as a sports person and these kids get it too, so when I see those moments I'm like, yes, I hooked you, I hooked you, <laughs> you know, and I love that because these kids, you know, they have these massive challenges on the daily from getting up out of bed, you know, to, to getting themselves to school and, and things like that, so then to give them the, um, the same, to help them nurture that same love that I have for sport and that connection that you have with what sports offers you, you know, that, that's huge to me and I get to work with some super cool kids uh, through the Halberg Foundation. I just yeah. absolutely love it. Wicked. Yeah. Well, I'll leave it at that. Um, congratulations. You should be so proud. I know that everyone across the motu is, is so very proud of you too. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah.